turn in your uh, copy of God's Word to Luke uh, chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Well, I did uh, want to make just two announcements I didn't make earlier. Uh, deacons, uh, we were going to have a brief meeting following the service in the back Sunday school classroom, so make sure that you are uh, there uh, following this morning's service. And also the flowers here on our right, uh, they, they were given in memorial uh, for Steve Hembry, who passed away this past week. He was the, the nep- nephew of Ruth and Ted Carroll. So I just want to make sure that you pray uh, for them this week. And also be praying for Miss uh, Carrie Luke. Uh, Carrie Luke is, is struggling with some uh, some sickness. That's why she's not with us. Uh, we, you know, Carrie is near and dear to our hearts. So we want to make sure we, uh, we pray uh, for her. Well, I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 9, verses 28 uh, through uh, 45, um, and then I will pray and dig into God's Word. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took them, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in the, in the glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to, he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, his spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I beg you, your disciples, to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying. It was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we bow now before you. You are glorious and holy. And yet, God, we are full of sin. God, even this past week, we have not denied ourselves, but we have followed our own desires. God, we have maybe spoken sinfully um, against our brothers and sisters or our spouses. God, we come with heavy hearts, Lord, realizing our sinful state. But God, we also come in, in praising you. 
For God, we know that all our sin is forgiven through the blood of Christ. We know that we have one who stands before the Father on our behalf, Jesus Christ the righteous, whoever lives to make intercession for his people. So God, we thank you that we have a great high priest whose name is love. God, we thank you that there is no one, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that you hold us firmly by your grace. So God, is in the the grace of Christ, we come to you now pleading uh, for your spirit to speak to our hearts. But God, we also pray for our dear sister, Carrie Luke, who is just battling sickness. God, she has blessed so many in this congregation, uh, teaching and laboring um, through God's word and passing it on to the next generation. God, we pray you heal her. God, we pray that you give the doctors wisdom to diagnose the problem. Father, we pray for the family of Steve Hembry who uh, passed this week. God, we pray that as they mourn, they will be comforted. God, we pray for our dear sister Ruth and dear brother Ted. God, comfort them with the hope that we have in the gospel. God, our only hope is in the gospel. So God, we want our city to come under that hope. Father, we want all in our city to hear and believe the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, this morning we pray for other churches in our area. We pray for our dear brother Scott Davis preaching over at Northside Baptist Church. God, we pray, God, as he stands and preaches your word, that you will just anoint him with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that that congregation would come under conviction of sin, God, and righteousness and judgment. God, help them be encouraged by the hope that they have in the gospel. God, we also just pray for those who are in positions of authority in our area. God, we pray now for our city council. God, here in York and York County, Rock Hill, God, we just pray that you would be kind to them. God, we pray that as they make decisions that affect uh, this community, God, we pray that you would give them a heart of wisdom, Father, that as they lead, they would lead in grace. And God, now we ask for our own hearts, Father. We, we do want to hear a word from you. Father, I pray now that I would just be an empty vessel. God, I pray that I would decrease, that you may increase. God, we want a glimpse of your glory. God, you are so holy and you are so glorious. You are so majestic. God, I pray now through your word that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see a glimpse of your glory. Uh, God, I pray that you would make much of your name now. We ask this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I graduated high school, uh, my, my, my parents were very generous, and they said, because you graduated high school, we're going to send you on a, on a, on a graduation trip. Uh, so what they did is they, 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 they sent me to British Columbia, Canada. So we flew to Seattle, drove to Vancouver, uh, got in a boat, crossed a, a big old uh, lake, and we got to this mountain. And my parents were going to let me climb this mountain for a week. And it was awesome. I mean, it was a beautiful place. And one time at the, uh, during the trip, we, we, we got so high uh, that we actually walked through a cloud. Through a cloud, and then we stood up there, and all we could see was this, this top of the mountain, just surrounded by the cloud. Now, beloved, can I just tell you, that was a literal mountain top experience. Now, we all have those in our lives. We have those moments that we look back and we reflect on, and we just say it was a mountaintop experience. It was one of my bucket list. Uh, I have a friend 
who uh, she works really hard. She was in politics. She worked by 14, 16 hours a day and, on campaigns and just really grueling hours. Uh, and then uh, after uh, the year, she would save up all her money and she would take a two-week vacation uh, to Africa or Asia or Europe. And the days of drudgery and um, dealing with those long hours and all the things that come with a political campaign, she, what sustained her, she would often say, is that she knew at the end of the campaign she was going to a mountaintop experience. Well, I think what we can look here in God's Word now is the Lord gives us a glimpse of the mountain, the mountaintop experience. Uh, so I want to look through, uh, through God's Word to show a picture of God's glory. If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, the first uh, thing I want to show you is the glory of the mountain, the glory of the mountain. Now remember from last week, we just talked about Jesus kind of gave his, his, his disciples a very strong statement. If anyone's going to come after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me, right? He who wants to uh, uh, save his life must lose it for my sake and the gospel. I mean, he gave this, this, this strong statement of what the cost of following Christ would be. So I think it's only fitting that after he, he tells them of the cost, he just gives them a window. He gives them a picture of the glory that's at the end of the tunnel. You see the right, right there in verse 27 of chapter 9, it says, But I will tell you truly, there are some standing here that will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now the word there in, in verse 28, now about, is, is a transition. It's trying to connect these two stories. So right there in 28 it says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. So he's showing these few that they would not taste death to see the glory of God. And then in verse 29, it says, and as he was praying, if I could just make a stop here, and just, just every time when you read the gospel of Luke, notice how often Luke highlights praying. When, when, when Luke highlights praying, something significant always is happening. We always ask, we wonder why God may not be moving in our midst like we want. It could be, beloved, that God is not moving in our midst because we are not a praying people. But here we see that the Jesus is praying. And as he was praying, we see what happened. The appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. At that moment, we don't know exactly how it looked, uh, we know from the other accounts in Matthew 17, uh, Mark chapter 9, that his face was, was glowing. It was shining like the sun. And his clothing became dazzling white. In that moment, Peter, James, and John caught a glimpse of the glory of God. It goes on in verse 30. And you see that word, and behold... That's a key word when you're reading the Scriptures in your own time. When you see that word, and behold, what's coming next is important, right? It's saying, watch out, look out, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a word that Luke often uses. He says, behold, two men were, were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to comp- accomplish at Jerusalem. So you see this idea that there's two men who are there, Moses and Elijah. We'll get back to that in a second in terms of why Moses and why Elijah. 
But again, you see a theme throughout the Gospel of Luke uh, is the idea of witnesses. There's two there. There's two men who are witnessing the glory of God. And one of the, one of the helpful things when you interpret the Scriptures is that you interpret the Scripture with the Scripture. Uh, so if I want to figure out what does this text mean, what do I do? I, I look at other parts of the Scripture to make sure that I'm thinking well about the whole text. Well, if you read the, the rest of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, at the end of, of, of Luke, Luke 24, Luke writes this, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in there, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, speaking of the resurrection. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So you see these angelic beings right after the resurrection. of this, The victory has now happened. And you see glory through these heavenly beings. And the, the, Luke goes on and says, As that were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise. Luke's saying, listen, you're going to suffer. Jesus is saying, you're going to suffer. You're going to have to, to deny yourself and pick up your cross. But there's glory coming. We know that the, the worst day in all of history uh, was when the day the Son of Man died on Good Friday. But beloved, we know the best day was three days later when he was raised from the dead. This is picture of this heavenly glory. We see again in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Write it down and look at it this afternoon. When Jesus had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I just want you to see how Luke, what is Luke's trying to do? Remember, he's writing to the most excellent Theophilus to give them certainty of the faith that we have. He's saying, listen, what you saw on the mountain is the same thing you saw as the resurrection, is the same picture you saw as as ascension. Glory is coming. The mountaintop experience with God is coming. But we go back to our text in Luke chapter 9, and we see these two men. We see Moses and Elijah. And I never noticed it before, but it says right there that they were talking with him, with Jesus, about his departure, which was about to happen in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is very key in the Gospels because it is where the the crucifixion and the resurrection take place. So the idea that Jerusalem now comes on the scene is that the whole Gospel of Luke is now going to shift. You'll find it right there in verse 51 of the same chapter. It says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a picture of the end. And the word there for departure really is, is, is the Greek word exodus, which really connects back to the exodus we find from the people of God in, from Egypt and the parting of the Red Seas and the wandering through the wilderness and the eating uh, the, the manna that falls from heaven and then the, the entrance into the promised land. So when they were talking about the departure that was going to happen in Jerusalem, they were talking about the whole gospel story, about what God was going to finally complete in Jesus. Everything else before 
with Moses, the picture of the law, the, 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 of the exodus, was only a preview of the, of the exodus that God was going to give his people from sin and death. And Elijah is also often known as the, as, the, as the prophet of the end times, the one who's going to usher in the end of the age. So you see two men. You see Moses, a picture of the old covenant, and you see Elijah, one who's going to help usher in the new age. But we also just think, when we think of Moses, what was probably the most significant time in Moses' life? Happened at Mount, the Mount Sinai. And we look at Elijah, one of the significant moments of his life is Mount Carmel, when he battled the prophets of Baal. I think Luke is trying to give a whole picture here. And obviously, we don't know exactly why Moses and Elijah are there. The text doesn't say. But what is alluded to is a word that Moses gives in Deuteronomy chapter 15, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verse 15 to 19. Now, I'm jumping around a few different places today, uh, and I just want you to write this down and listen to what God says through Moses, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. It is him you shall listen. Just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see the great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words into his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, this is a huge passage to understand uh, because the, the people of God were standing in Mount Horeb and they saw the glory of God. And the people said, we can't go there. We can't experience the glory of God. We cannot be in his presence. Now, why, can, why do the people of Israel say we can't be in the presence of God? Well, Because God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And when you are a sinful human being, you cannot go into the presence of God. And God says through Moses, you're right. You can't go into my presence. But God gives a promise. He gives this beautiful promise that I'm going to raise up a prophet from among your own people. Listen to him. The same thing Luke quotes in Acts chapter 3. In verse 19, he says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send you the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things which God has spoken about the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him. And whatever he tells you, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Now, I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, and it's hard to focus, but focus in. Hear me. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets, of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant, 
sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So one of the reasons I believe that there's Moses and Elijah there is Moses is saying there's going to come a prophet who's going to be from your own people. He's going to come and stand before the presence of God on your behalf. That's why we sung the song before the throne of God above. It's a picture of the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have a great high priest whose name, his name is love, who stands before the, before the Father God, ever pleading for the souls of his people. It's a beautiful picture. But someone had to be raised up. So this idea of raising up is not someone who's just is born and now walks. It's someone who is dead and buried and raised from the dead. And we have Elijah here saying that the old covenant is now is now um, fulfilled in Christ. The prophet has come. Look back at the text with me. You'll see how this is all going to come together, and you're going to say, man, that's awesome. You ready to say that's awesome? I know I am too. Amen? Amen. Look at verse 32. And now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, it was not a dream, okay? They were fully awake. They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as As the men were parting, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. You ever have those moments when you're kind of, it's kind of one of those moments you don't know what to do, so you just start speaking and you're like, man, I really should not be talking right now, but I'm just going to keep on saying something. Well, he's inviting this this, this moment to last and he wanted to build a tent or tabernacles or booths, temporary structures that would stay. And it says, not knowing what he said, because he doesn't really realize who Jesus is at this moment. Because look at verse 34. It wasn't Jesus who answered him here now. It was God the Father. Verse 34. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This was probably not a typical cloud. This was probably something unique and special, because it brought fear. Every time you see the presence of God in the Scripture, fear is right there. They are afraid. In verse 35, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One, and listen to Him. This is the second time we see in the Gospels uh, a voice coming from heaven. The first time was at Jesus' baptism. And at Jesus' baptism, the Father speaks directly to Jesus. He says, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. But that's not what it says here. Here it's in the third person. He's not speaking to Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples. He said, this is my son, my chosen one, the prophet who I was going to send you, who's from among your brothers. And we saw in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the words, listen to him. What do we see here? Listen to him. He is the chosen one who is going to usher in the end of days. Now, the reason why that's important for us is because there was a prophecy made way back in Deuteronomy. And we see its completion, its fulfillment in the transconfiguration on the mountain. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand in your Bibles, because your Bible should be open, right? Put your hand in your Bible, and then turn uh, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
the, the passage that Joe just read for you. I just wanted you to see the connection here. Because when Peter thinks about the, the trustworthiness and the, um, what encourages his own soul, he goes right back to this story. Peter writes Second Peter because there are certain people who said that God's not coming back. The end is not going to happen. He's not going to come back and rescue his people. That's just not going to happen. They were, they were spreading this around. And look what Peter says in verse 16. He's trying to encourage the people. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mainly the Lord is going to come back. The Lord is going to come and judge the earth in power. But it says, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now stay there with me, okay? Because this is when it starts to get cool, okay? Now we, we weren't there. We weren't eyewitnesses on the mountain. But Peter's saying, I saw it. God's glory is real. Now listen how he connects the the fulfillment of the prophecy of the transconfiguration to the word of God. I go on in verse 19. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now you can go back, and this is what Peter is saying. Peter is saying is that we saw the glory on the mountain. We saw how God fulfilled his word. He fulfilled his prophecy. So we know that the word of God that we have is even more sure. No prophecy, no scripture was written by man, but it was written by men brought along by the Holy Spirit of God. This is the word of God. And Peter connects it all the way back to the transconfiguration. The reason why we will live in this church or die in this church by the word of God is because this is what God says how we should live. Because it happened on the mountain, he showed us his glory. And from his glory, he said, listen to me. This is how we listen to God, his word. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, my old pastor was talking to a church planner. He said, man, I got this great idea. I'm going to plant a church uh, based on only the words of Jesus. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to read all the, the red lettering in my Bible, only time when Jesus spoke, and I'm going to base the church just on his teaching. Now, when I was a young man, I had the, I had the same idea. I said, man, I just, you know, the red letters in your Bibles, all the words of Jesus. I had my NIV study Bible, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to memorize everything that Jesus ever said. Wouldn't that be cool, right, to have all the words of Jesus, all these red letters? That, but can I just tell you something? The red letters are not more important than the black letters in the Scriptures. It is all the Word of God, because it all comes from God. Jesus is the Word of God. He's the Word incarnate. Everything in the Scriptures, the law and the prophets, the New Testament, all comes together in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be red-letter Christians. And you don't, if you have a red-letter Bible, if you have one of those Bibles that have red letters, don't throw it away. <laughs> Just understand that the red letters, although Jesus said them, He said the whole thing. Amen? 
but it's a great picture of his glory. Now you can see from this mountaintop experience that what God the Father wanted the disciples to realize is the identity of Jesus Christ. He is the chosen one. He is the Son. But he's also, we can trust his word. The word of Jesus Christ is trustworthy. But beloved, can I just be honest with you? We're not called to live on the mountain, are we? Now, there are things in our, in our lives and we experience that we get this glimpse of the mountaintop. But look what happens next. My second point, the glory of the valley. The glory of the valley. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. So they just had this great experience. They saw the glory of God. They saw Jesus' face transfixed, shining like the sun, his, his clothes dazzling white, wrapped in a cloud of glory, hearing the voice from heaven. Then they come down the mountain, and what do they run into? Verse 38, Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the Spirit seizes him, And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. I beg your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So after this moment of glory, they come down to a world full of problems. (laughs) You know, uh, one of the things that I think the younger generation, I saw this in different uh, circles uh, in, in my young life, is that you have these young people who are always looking for the, the emotional high. They want to go to church to feel the emotional high and this, this experience of, of God's glory and power. That's why I think a lot of people in our day are attracted to, to preachers when they say that God wants great things for you. God wants to, to bless you. God wants to open up his, his blessing upon you. But they don't know what that means. And they say, yes, 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 because they want that mountaintop experience. But beloved, don't buy the goods. We are not called to live on the mountain. We're called to live in the valley. We're called to walk with people who struggle and who suffer. Now, I know there's many of you here today who may have personal things going on in your own life of great trial, of great suffering, of great pain. And I think what Jesus wants you to know is that he is there in the midst of your pain and your struggles. He is still God in the valley. Look, look what it says. Now remember what, what, what it said in, in the transfiguration? It said, listen to him. Listen to the words of Jesus. And the very next words of Jesus we find in verse 41, when he sees this scene, he says, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. I mean, he has a pretty sharp word there. You faithless and twisted generation. And I think that when you, when you read the other accounts in, in Mark and in Matthew, I think there's two people that, that have lack of faith here. I think you have the boy's father. Uh, we find, and I think it's in, in, in Mark, when he, that says, you know, all you need to believe. He says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. This man didn't believe that God had the power to heal his son. But I think also it's the disciples. The disciples did not believe that God was able to heal their son. 
So I think this is two ways. When we walk into our world and we encounter people who are, who are struggling with all sorts of problems, we have to believe that God is powerful enough to meet their problems and to call them out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God is able to walk through, walk us through the valley because we know that he's already walked us through the greatest valley. You know, we love Psalm 23 because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why don't you fear evil when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Because you know that one was raised up from God to take death on your behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. So believer, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear the valley. We have one who's already walked through the valley for you. Jesus, our Lord. We skip down to verse 43. After this healing, verse 43, it says, And they were all astonished at the majesty of God. Now, when we think about the majesty of God, it can, it can show a lot of different ways. One of the, thing, the ways that it shows most in our world uh, is what happened to the boy. The boy was uh, convulsing. He was um, seizing, and then all of a sudden his life was changed, and he looked different. Beloved, the, the way we reach our world, the way we show the majesty of God, is that we lived changed lives. That means we come to God through uh, faith and repentance, saying, I, I choose no longer to live for myself. I choose to live for the glory of God. And now my life looks different. So when they see my life before and they see my life now, they say, what happened to you? And I say, I met Jesus. Jesus rescued me, right? He rescued from me from the domain of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves. I'm a different man because Jesus Christ has shed his blood for my soul. So when we don't take holiness serious, when we don't take um, thinking about the, uh, serving the people of God serious, we're not showing the majesty of God to our world. And can I just be honest? People want to see the majesty of God. You can go to church and you can, you can have fun. There's something wrong with smiling at church, amen? Those who know me, I love to laugh. We love to have a good time. But at the end of the day, you want to experience the glory of God because that is what's going to sustain you through the tough times. Because no matter what you are dealing with in the valley, you know that glory is coming. You know that glory is coming. That's why when people said that to, to Peter that the Lord's not coming back, and he says, we did not make it up. We saw his glory. He is coming back. That's where we live. Well, we close with this. Not only do we see the glory of the valley, we also see the glory of the cross. Look at how this next section connects the two. They were all astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling, at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples. So this is the second word that we see uh, from Jesus, from the transconfiguration. And listen to what it says. Verse 44. Let these words sink into your ears. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Think what Jesus is saying. Let these words sink into your ears. You probably think what's coming next is pretty important. He says these words, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands 
of men. People didn't understand that the chosen one, the majestic holy one of God, would be delivered freely and by his own choosing, handed over to sinful men to be killed, to be crucified. And beloved, that is the greatest news we can ever hear. Because if we want to experience the glory on the mountain, we have to go to the glory of the cross that God sent his one and only son. And because the sinless Savior died, our sinful soul is counted free. Beloved, can I just encourage you to to meditate and reflect on those words, the words of Jesus Christ. He had to repeat it often in his life that he was going to die. And beloved, we need to hear it all more often in our, in our world that promises um, a life free of pain. The life of glory is often a life of suffering. But we know that through the suffering, through the cross, we will experience the glory of God on the mountain, on the great Mount Zion, in the city of Jerusalem when our Lord returns. Let's pray. Father God, we... Thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that you are good and strong and powerful. Father, we thank you that you are a God um, who is able to uh, show us glimpses of your glory on the mountain and who is able to walk us through the valley uh, because you have one who was on the mountain and stepped off the mountain to walk through the valley with us, even to the valley of the shadow of death. But you didn't leave him there, Lord. You raised him from the dead. God, I pray that we would look upon the Savior today and trust him and listen to his words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.